Welcome ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Sarah Century. I'm here to interview three people. Rob usually does this show. It's like Rob's show or whatever. But uh, from what I understand, he's in like New Jersey or something with his girlfriend's parents. I'm not sure if she's with them, but like that's where he's at. And so he can't record the intro right now, so I'm gonna do it. Uh, Which is okay because I'm the one who does all the interviews in this episode too. So the people who I'm going to talk to this episode, first of all, Lady Speech, who is a spoken word artist, and she was in the all-female Wu-Tang cover band that was called Lady Wu-Tang, and also um, just did like Freedom of Speech, which was kind of this weekly open mic that a lot of people went to. It was super successful and awesome. After that, I'm going to talk to Trip Nasty, who is probably one of my favorite performers. Just, they're really fucking cool. I've seen them play some of the most off-the-wall sets I've ever seen. And if you ever get the chance, I highly recommend seeing Trip Nasty perform. So then I'm talking to Tripp, and then finally I'm going to be talking to Anna Antipalindrome, who is another performer I've seen multiple times and who is amazing, uh, does this music that's just brilliant and is a writer and a poet and really darn cool, just like everybody else on this episode and probably most episodes of this show. So without further ado, Lady Speech. Every person who I've interviewed so far, it's like it's not like they do a thing. Like every person exactly. is ridiculously across the board. They have like twenty projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So you're a good fit for the interview series. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. When did you first know that you wanted to become an artist? I was a child, and it is different. I think um, I think in the tradition of like of of more the people of color of, of village ment- mentality, it's not a thing like you you want to become something. But for me, it was necessity. Mm-hmm. It is like the blues and hip hop and jazz, which are all considered you know authentic American art forms, were authentically born from Black people's pain. Like we are artists, um, and in our everyday life, but, like, sometimes we do this because it, it is the only thing that's going to save our life. So it was more of um, this is a life that I, I, this is the thing that I had access to that was a um, a bomb and a solve um, from the abuse that I was going through as a child, from the things that I had seen. It was a way to access, um, you know, healing at any time, at any space. It was a way to express. Um, and so it came from a very, it was a very African thing to do. It was a very, um, um, literally, um, picking up a pen when 
I could have picked up a knife after a particular beating and um, finding the release in that instead of, you know, killing myself. So this is more like for me, it was, this isn't anything that was um, romantic. And, you know, it, this is my whole career thus far. It's, you know, different energy now, but has been because I was trying to stay here. Um, and it's been, and I think that's a lot of art for black people, for people of color, for native artists, for brown artists. Like, we, we create because we have to, we're, we're trying to stay here because uh, white supremacist patriarchy is paralyzing and, you know, because I come from an ancestry that is impossible. Um, and I come from, you know, a people that shouldn't be here. And, you know, you know, I live under circumstances that are pretty fucking insane. Um, being a woman, being a black woman, being a, you know, a pansexual woman, all of that is, is a lot. Like having to dodge all those bricks, um, is a lot. So this is, it's a necessity. It's something that I, um, that if I'm going to continue to breathe here, if I'm going to continue to, to, uh, uh, you know, be here, that I have to, you know, to do. What excites you the most about making art? Uh, the release aspect, I think, and the, the, it is a continual, awe-inspiring experience to when people connect to what I say. Yeah. Um, it is to, to do something because I'm literally trying to stay here, articulate, uh, something that I've seen when in the world or something that's going on or something that I've, you know, being an empath or being a witch, something that I have felt or picked up or, you know, an aspect of someone's truth that I carry with me. It always amazes me, and it always comes from that kind of place in me. So it's always very wild when I watch people relate, when I watch people, like, um, find their truth in it. Um, and then that just release aspect for me, that is an empathic art function as a tool for me as well, that stage functions as a tool for me. So I'm able to, you know, let go of a lot of the things that come with me and that stick to me. So it's very much this, you know, cosmic, orgasmic um release that I look forward to, you know, that comes to the territory. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, things are getting, <laughs> things are very tense, I would say, politically right now. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, that's maybe not even going out on a limb to say. Uh, mm -hmm. But how do you think that the election and, like, the way that politics are currently is going to change the landscape for artists? I think it's going to really change the landscape for a lot of white artists um, because I think, you know, a lot of uh, artists of color are going to continue to do what we need to do or return to something else. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, like, um, this, we don't, this lately especially, um, we, we don't create art uh, and haven't, you know, lately we've been creating art because of capitalism and color, because of how easy colonization, um, you know, works. Um, but we say we make that shit to save our lives. So I think a lot of art or white artists, and not to say that white artists haven't connected to the soul, but, you know, white privilege keeps you away from a lot of shit, like keeps white people away from a lot of, you know, tragedy, right? We keeps white people away from a lot of, like, hurt. So for, I think for a lot of white artists, we've got to see some real, you know, soulful things. Um, I think um, for the artists of color, it's, it's going to be super important to tap into what's really being said and what's going on because we're in a space in a media level where a lot of our, our voices are being alienated. Um, we look at, like, Standing Rock, like a lot of the, what was going on was absolutely blacked out from the um, media, and it was the, the power of social media and the power of people seeking real voice 
and people going down there and like broadcasting using these things, even though video kept getting shut down and removed, like it was the power of these things going well that kind of kept this alive and kept like, and like finally like shed a little bit more light on it. So um, I think it's like going to push a lot of us artists to like speak to the truth of what's going on in our community so what people feel. Um, it's going to push a lot of us to speak to what we ourselves feel, those of us who are connected to us. There's a fair amount of, you know, entertainers posing as artists who are very much not connected to the voice of the people, but to the artists that are connected to the people. Like, it's going, and, you know, as we feel things ourselves, it's our duty to kind of, like, be that witness test, to be those empathic, you know, um, you know, uh, spaces in these communities that absorb what everybody's feeling and feeling ourselves and then kind of regurgitate it so we can all process it and heal with it and through it. So, I think this is going to be a time where a lot of truth is going to be spoken, where a lot of people are going to remember that, where a lot of artists are going to remember that it's not about, like, you know, you know, there's other ways to make money, and, like, it's not about, it's about what, what, what your community is feeling, what we're going to do. But using it as a tool, remembering that, too, you know, like, you know, this is literally blues is how we survived. Like, these are the things that, like, kept us alive, so... um a lot of us are waking back up to that and remembering these like kind of industrial elements and going back there into those spaces. So I think there is a revival of a lot of those like kind of you know uh, philosophies of antiquity, even though we're in a very popish uh, uh, you know throwaway culture. I also feel like a lot of that soulfulness is coming back to. What's coming up for you as an artist? Like what new things are you doing? Um, well, this year is definitely um, pushing burlesque again. I am um, writing, so I will be featured in Shakti Journal. I have a piece coming up in Shakti Journal for the uh, spring. I've written for them before. Um, I'm doing a lot more blogging, so 2017 is a lot more poetic blogging and things, and I'm opinioning things on my own website, ladyspeech.com. Um, I have some books coming out, so more towards the spring and the summer will be the artistic books, but I have like some affirmation books and things of that nature, you know, that I am looking to publish at the beginning of 2017, um, and some performance art things, like I just have some, you know, I myself am in a space of returning definitely to um, my soul arts and kind of being my full artist and indulging, you know, um, the experimental things and the uncomfortable things and all that good stuff. So, and I've kind of, my life is situated and I've been working and took a hiatus and, you know, kind of restructured my, my thought process and my, my work and everything so that I can, like, do these things and be well and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I've got, like, a lot more writing is coming from Lady Speech this year, a lot more ballet is coming from Lady Speech this year, um, a lot more, uh, and stuff. Like, I definitely am looking forward to um, getting, being artistic and marrying the artistic spiritual experience and providing that. Um, I definitely am about producing, you know, the, the, the poetry books and things of that nature, but I'm, I'm a facilitator of, like, that kind of collage experience, that artistic collage experience. So that's what I kind of am facilitating, too. There's more events and kind of interactive things that I'm looking to to give to people so awesome that's exciting uh yeah i think that the last time i saw you do a performance was when i was still living in denver and it was the free speech uh at the gypsy house so it's been a little while since i saw you do something so i'm excited for what you have coming up thank you thank you i appreciate that i'm excited to to do it and i definitely feel the call to do it and 
you know, I think that, you know, if, if, if nothing else, like, I've never really felt like, uh, like, this, this is the first time I've ever wanted to, quote unquote, make it. This is the, and for me, making it has just been known to a lot more people. I definitely want to make it, I want to be able to do this to the point and do this well enough to where I can make the money that, that I, I, this is all I can do. But more so than that, like, it seems to, you know, I want to take advantage of the fact that people seem to listen to me, and I'm humbled by that fact, and I may, I may not ever, ever really understand, like, why people like what I do, but at this point in the game, I feel like I have some healing things to say and to give, and if people want to listen, then I want to give that to as much people as possible. And I think it's really important to offer authentic voice right now. I think it's really important to be, like, who we are authentically and, like, show up and show up loud. And people have forgotten that, you know. I mean, it's interesting because, like, I'm a Libra and I'm a triple Libra. We're not really supposed to be like this, you know. We're not really supposed to be this loud. It, it, yeah, it's now just I'd like to use this for something good, for the, the great things that it can facilitate for myself and other people. And, you know, have some fun while doing it. So. See, that's how you're a Libra, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. I think it's important to get as many voices and things and input in this as possible. And I'm grateful that, you know, you asked me for it. So, and, yeah. yeah. And especially, like, this is a pansexual woman because I think that when, it's like, just like bisexual people are, like, it's the new bisexuality and that bisexuality is still very weird for people and I come from that definition too so then to be like pansexual that's the one that people are really like the fuck <laughs> they're <laughs> like wait 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 wait, wait. <laughs> what the hell is that is that only two things <laughs> uh, so you gotta be like okay so now I have to continue yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you even what that is and now <laughs> yeah uh, and then I have to introduce you all the like concepts of gender, not in a, in order to explain what I do. <laughs> Just even to get that far, yeah. Even to get that far, like so, I appreciate that. And then especially being you know black, you know people automatically if you do something different, they're like, oh, that's just white sport. And I'm like, oh, no, God, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Trip. Nasty. Started trying to play in bands in high school, and none of them were successful. And that would be, you know, 1984 through 89, I think, for the years I was in high school. And then in 89, I met some guy from Phoenix, Cleveland, in Tucson, and uh, we formed our first band together called Rocket Number 9. That yeah. lasted forever. Like, I was in a bunch of different bands at the same time as being in that band. Like, and we played, like, Sun Ra songs, or Ornette Coleman songs, and, <laughs> songs, and, you know, all these, like, art rock songs that we spent hours listening to to try to distill to, you know, a guitar and a bass and you know, a low key, keyboard player for a while, um, and another guitar sometimes, <laughs> like, a percussion player. It was real fun. No one liked us in Tucson. <laughs> our shows. Uh, we had a few diehard fans, like, or something like that. Uh, we played in front of Truman's Water, who's a straight noise band from San Diego in the 1990s, and they offered to let us go on tour with them. And our guitarist chickened out at the very end. Um, and when he did that, I got upset, and I joined another band with uh, three other people 
who just wanted to go on tour. Um, that was our goal. We just wanted to go on tour all the time. Recently, one of our friends had started being able to go on tour all the time. Um, guy Bob Log the third. And uh, so I asked a bunch of people that he knew, who were friends of mine. One of them I put out a record by him in Tucson. If, you know, let's form this band, let's just go on tour forever. We can just get these minimal rents and mm-hmm. we can just, you know, like, get past the space and then we can just, like, figure out this route and we can just go on tour forever like possible. We're all real smart. We'll figure it out. Uh, you know, sort of that gung-ho attitude. And we made uh, our first album, our first show was done after, like, the second practice we ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. To see us, because we were, had all played in bands for years, uh, and it was really successful, like, right off the bat. It's real weird. I've never had a project really, really be successful. Um, recorded our album, I think, like, three months after that. <laughs> recorded it live at our friend's house. So we were getting slowly drunk all day one afternoon. And we just recorded the whole thing. Uh, we got the guy who was producing the John Spencer Blues Explosion to <laughs> help uh, mix it all down, like a fancy board from our, our casting four track we had. <laughs> and we put out a CD, which I'd never done before. It was really expensive. Without a CD, it was like a thousand bucks. Um, I didn't contribute any money towards it to my other bandmates who figured out how to ways to do it. So um, I didn't get any money from the album with the agreement. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody liked it a lot um, and we started to get lots and lots of shows and just to play out of town a lot and then Crash Worship asked us to go on tour with them and it was real fun and lots of crazy stuff happened and then that band broke up right after the summer tour uh, and some of our bandmates you know, one of our bandmates in particular did not enjoy it at all uh, it really sucked we had a show booked at King Coffee's Ranch the guy from the Butthole Surfers yeah and then I just sort of played around in bands in Tucson, and I ended up playing in Calexico at one point. So I wanted to go on tour again really bad. <laughs> I really love tour and playing music. It's real fun for me. I'd do anything to do it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, right when I was going to go on tour with them, I decided to move to Denver. And then in Denver, my employees started calling me Trip Nasty, and that's where I got that name. Before that, I went by the name, um, was it, what was the name they called me? They had a, a Kearns Lumber Pan. <laughs> so still time in Tucson, and then Misty Melon. Yeah, my roommate was Mona Mahalia Cutlet. Oh, my so God. You, still to this day, you can call up her house, and her voicemail is Mona Mahalia Cutlet. They had a real good, like, cooperative DIY sort of, you know, shows at your own houses attitude in Tucson. There, were, there was nothing there for a really long time. There were like all ages shows that were on the other side of town when I was young. Um, and so I moved as soon as I got old enough to, to the other side of town. And that same year, this guy from Philadelphia moved to Tucson and opened up a, a DIY stage. He had booked a bunch of bands in New York and California at his DIY stage in Philadelphia. He started like a great DIY stage. It was called Dodiac at first, and then he opened up a bigger space called the, um, I can't remember, Tucson Warehouse or something like that. Oh, the Downtown Performance Space. <laughs> and lasted for years, and the police used to harass him and make everybody come out and count everybody for fire marshal shit. <laughs> and then you stand outside and you wait, and then they let you all back in. It was fine. And then they come back like two hours later and count everybody again. You all stand outside, the band. Outside, they took her for drugs. 
get like that. Um, and they were got busted for any of that. It just <clears throat> the city finally said they wanted to buy the property for the Don. Uh, right. Uh, and then they bought it, and then they turned it into an art space for this other person, and then finally they, they tore that art space down. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It was a great space. Like, um, the Sun City Girls came and played there. Uh, Green Day came and played there. Uh, Bad Brain played there. Uh, Boredom came and played there. You know, like, every great 90s, like, touring weird noise band or, you know, independent, like, underground it was really cool. Uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and then I moved to Denver, and I started Trip Nasty um, as something to do. And then I played Mr. Pac-Man, and then I played in Bongo Fury and Trip Nasty Orchestra. Yep. And, and then I think you probably know the rest. Yeah, that's where I start to know what's going on. <laughs> um, so... I was on MTV once with a, uh, a band called the Zero Kings from Tucson. We played at the Austin Blues Festival in this gay bar called the Blue Flamingo. Whoa. Uh, yeah, and George Thurgood played down the street from us. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, we were next to this gay bar. It was this gay cowboy bar, and these guys got out of their, like, limousine ride to drop them off with, like, chaps on with no backs. And I was, you know, I was, like, 26, and I would never seen I was from Tucson. And they went to any bar. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, what was the first thing that made you decide that you wanted to be an artist? I didn't think I, I wanted to be an artist. <laughs> I still think it to this day. It's like some kind of habit that I have that I just can't stop. <laughs> right, yeah. I stopped many times and then it would crop up and I would get really depressed until I did it. Um, so I just do it. I don't care anymore about, you know, people coming to see it or anything. Yeah. That died, died down a long time ago for some reason. Yeah. It's just more about, like, needing to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta, it's like a, it's all like a puzzle for me. I wanna, I wanna put all the pieces together, you know, and make it fit, and I have not figured out the perfect, perfect fit. It all fits up sometimes, but it doesn't make a picture I like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the puzzle, you know. I probably will never ever make that my Matisse jigsaw puzzle that I want, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's just luck. I think that's what art is for a bunch of people is like a challenge, you know, a reason to get up every day. I think so. Like I'm gonna make this thing and it's gonna make me happy. And a lot of things that I've made have made me happy, and a lot of things that I've made have pissed me off. And I hate going back and hearing those things where it's just like, oh god, that was such a mistake. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I got this tape of me playing at um, the Yellow Cafe or wherever that was on Santa Fe. Oh, uh, Yellow Feather. Yellow Feather, and the, it's a Bongo Fury set, and the whole set's really good, and then I start singing, and I just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> People have said it practice more hand, like, maybe you should do something more abstract. I'm like, no, 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 no. It was totally <laughs> wrong. And that lives on somewhere in some damn archive someplace. Of course. Forever. <laughs> your shame <laughs> I know that life I like I know so much about like you look at something that you did like five years ago and it's like no why <laughs> every now and then though I'll, I'll do something like that zine Hitler High <laughs> um, like you know sort of as a, a thing I was becoming an accountant you know I just write so much in accounting school 
I got really quick at writing things. Every night I would write a short story or something. Um, yeah. Like a couple nights a week. And I had this big, huge collection of them. When I decided to make a zine, I just picked it out and just threw it all together. Um, and, you know, and I didn't like it at first, but then I read it like a year later. I was just like, oh, this is like the best thing I ever did. <laughs> like, I'll never get this good. Uh, you know, and those are the things I like. But most of the time, you know, it's the reverse. Oh, totally. That bit to Beethoven and like all those people were, you know, the godfathers or whatever said the same thing about them. So, oh, I listened to Symphony Number no. 3. So bad. <laughs> Why didn't anybody come to that opera? I wrote it. Sucked. No. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. I've, I'm absolutely sure you're right. There's been a lot of artist interviews that I've read where like they, the artists themselves will, uh, really condemn, like, my favorite thing that they ever did or something like that, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's like sometimes when you listen to like, a demo album that they'll put out years later and you'll be like, oh, that song is so much better that way. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Why'd you ruin it and turn it into that commercial shit? Totally. Um, I feel like that happens a lot. Like, there's a lot of punk bands that are like that, where they, like, ruin their album by, like, actually recording it. Yeah. I mostly am doing this thing. I don't know if I gave you, like, any context for it, but I'm kind of just talking to, like, a lot of people about uh, kind of just the direction that they think, like, things are going right now as far as, like, art and uh, with, like, a predominant focus a lot of the time on being, like, queer artists and stuff like that because that's, like, the majority of the people who I'm talking to. Um, But it's just kind of uh, more or less talking about, like, where you think that, like, maybe performance art and stuff like that is going to be going, and then also kind of how you think it's going to change under the current political climate. Um, I think it'll get weirder. People usually under oppressive regimes get weird. um, I think it gets super arty in some way, because it'll become uncool to be arty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what way that, you know, the cultural landscape of having fun will head. I definitely think that art will get weirder, uh, mostly because a lot of people who get funded by a lot of public grants, you know, some of those public grants will probably disappear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then, but some of the weirdos can stay on small amounts of money and keep on persevering making, you know, public art. Yeah, there will be, uh, there will be less income, I think, for a lot of us. And so, uh, just in general. I mean, I mean that across the board, not just for artists, but just in general. I think people will be hitting higher poverty. Uh, and I think also that usually when that happens, yeah, you you have nothing to lose. So a lot of great movements are born at times like that. Um, what do you think about how art is going to change as far as how people interact with it? I definitely think it's going to go more towards, you know, you interact with it at home in front of your computer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see that, I think, because I've seen a lot of things that are online publications and things along those lines, uh, and they're kind of getting more advanced. So there's, like, it used to be, like, people would take a zine and then put it online, and it would still be just a zine, only it'd be on your computer. But now I think there's, like, way more interactive zines, and you can just, like, actually... Uh, have responses to the zines that change how the zine goes, so it becomes like way more choose your own adventure, I guess, or something. Yeah, well, blogging kind of is, you know, is like a zine in certain ways. You pick like your genre, your attitude, and all that, and you write, you know, a, an article a day or a week or 
you know, you pull a bunch of other people's articles together and call it Pitchfork or something like that. Uh, I mean, that that definitely seems like where DIY has been co-opted by the, the media to do things like that. Because all a bunch of people working out of their houses, as far as I can tell, with most of those big publications. Yeah. Dominate everybody's cultural attitudes and norms these days. Yeah. The magazine Rolling Stone might sell out a magazine still, but um, it's not as many as it did years that's true. Way more people in Vice Magazine and, and all that garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I, I love print. I, you know, I don't think the book will ever die, you know, because all the smarty pants people love books. I'll smell yeah. them and set them in weird ways like I do. Um, so I don't think that will go away. But I definitely think that you know, media will move and a lot of art will move with it towards, uh, like, you know, an interactive sort of, choose your own adventure, like you mm-hmm. said. <laughs> yeah, I make, like, the most, like, 80s reference <laughs> to talk about the future. I'm like, choose your own adventure, like, from the 70s. <laughs> it's really, I, I, like, way to describe the stratification of America right now. I mean, you meet people who are, like, totally about certain things and totally about things that you would think they'd not be about. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can find through the internet groups of people that agree with you in, in like sizable enough numbers for you to keep your opinion going. Um, for better or worse. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the thing that sets this time apart is definitely just that. I mean, it's it's just not like it ever has been for humans. Like as far as the internet goes, and as far as you know, technology and all of that. I just think it's a. We're in a whole new place right now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of difficult to figure out, you know, what's important anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I think so, too. I think you're right about that. That's, like, an interesting thing to say. It is, it is hard, I think, for people to know what's important. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people think a lot of things are really important to them, and those things mean more than other things that are important to other people. There's no, like, weird consensus or, like, talking in the aisles, almost. Yeah, it seems like there hasn't been for a long time. Yeah. This like, this, this I mean, she won by two million votes, but he won the electoral college, you know, by a sweep, and all those crazy, sparse-populated states, they loved it. Um, and there must have been something he was saying that, you know, that sort of, yeah, uh, about Donald Trump, it really appealed to them. Yeah, you know, but I and I worked all these crazy jobs and worked with those people, but I and seeing them like come out, I think it just you know they get real upset and money's really a big deal. And they didn't trust Hillary Clinton because she was real close to the bank, and they Donald Trump's you know like TV moron that they all everybody trusts all those people trust people on TV, you know who like speak the same ideas that they speak. Donald Trump was one of them. Uh, more than the Republican Party even thought. The whole thing is crazy. Yeah, totally. I think that we're all kind of still reeling, too. I think a lot of, like, artists just don't really know what to do <laughs> right now. Like, we're all just kind of like, what? Shit. Like, because uh, you, can, you can see why it happened, I guess, but it's also still... Like, I mean, I have incredibly low standards for humanity. Like, just incredibly low ones. So... I was still shocked, you know. I was still stunned. Oh, I, I kind of expected it after some point after the, the FBI released those papers. That was um, so fucked. There's like, oh god, 
that's such a bad thing to say right before the election because so many people don't decide until the very end. The yeah. So narrow lately on the election. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a real big deal in a lot of people's minds. It really was, and it was so fucked because it was like what, like that day or something. They were like, "Oh, we were just kidding. Like that's not even a thing." <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing, but uh, mm-hmm. it's affected Donald Trump ran. I really thought he was going to do it. Anna, anti palindrome. I identify as um, a hard femme Jewish sound artist and writer. Um, And so I think that my sort of initial and primary form of art making and um, performance has been through music and soundscapes. Um, But I... I got an MFA degree um, from Mills College in creative writing, and I just published my first book of poems um, through Sibling Rivalry Press, and I'm a writer for the magazine Everyday Feminism. So yeah, so the the kind of um, pretty stark binary that I always imagined between like writing and music is really blurred for me right now in terms of my practice. <laughs> right, right. Which is awesome. Which is like queer as fuck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, genre fucking. So, yeah. Um, so I have a few albums and of music and, yeah, my first book that just came out. Sweet. I didn't know, actually, that you wrote for Everyday Feminism, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising because I read that website. Um Let's see. Mm-hmm. When when in your life, I don't know, everybody has like totally different answers for this one, but when in your life did mm-hmm. you realize that you wanted to be an artist? Probably, I mean, I think I was little and, you know, I grew up in um, in like a, a pretty intense household dynamic. And so um, I think singing um, and, like, making up songs and stuff became a form of self-soothing when I was a kid. And then the town that I grew up in was, like, a a tiny rural working-class poor town, and so a lot of us didn't learn how to read um, until we taught ourselves, like, as teenagers, you know, using Harlequin romance novels or whatever. Right, right. (laughs) And, like, I remember learning how to Right. <laughs> like, me and my friends, we just, like, kind of taught each other how to read. And then realizing when I had sort of functional literacy, like, holy shit, literary art is something that I want to devote my life to. Because all of a sudden, I could, like, read a book cover to cover without any help from anybody. And I was able to totally dissociate from the shitty stuff happening around me all the time and, like, disappear into this other world or um, the gift of archive, like, suddenly being able to keep a journal and, like, articulate myself and write things down and return to it and stuff. So, like, yeah, so I think singing and songwriting as a form of self-soothing came probably earlier, but then literary art and my sort of, like, passion and dedication to that came when I was a teenager. 
Right. So one question that I have on here is actually kind of interesting to ask you because the way that I asked everybody else was, what role do you feel being queer plays in your art? But uh, I think that like most of the performances I have seen, like you've been, uh, it like definitely plays a huge part in it. So I guess I would ask it, why do you feel like it's so important uh, to reflect being queer in your art? I think, um, aside from, you know, visibility, um, I think that there's a politic to queer art that is really important in that, I mean, I think art um, as a form of social justice in general is, is super important. So, like, you know, there's the saying that the artist is the person who um, creates material out of the sort of organic essence of a situation. So like if you have a glass of salt water and all of the water evaporates and then you're left with the salt crystals at the bottom, like that, that is what art is. Yeah. It's like the sort of basic raw organic components. Um, and the artist is able to like translate it, translate, you know, that material into a kind of emotional texture. Right. Okay. Um, from, from which we make meaning. And I guess I would say the queer artist um, would do the same thing except for instead of making meaning from the granules, like a queer artist would interrogate the granules and like report about what what consistencies there are and what is and isn't, like what is left out and the space in between the granules and all of that. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I guess if that makes any sense, I don't know. <laughs> I think it does, yeah. All right, so there was an election recently. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So uh, I think a lot of people, myself included, are a little bit concerned about things right mm -hmm. now um, and how we're going to live and if we're going to be able to live and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, how do you think that that is going to affect the world as far as artists and how people interact with artists. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I go, I like vacillate between being like really nihilistic about it and then feeling really excited about it. <laughs> um, because um, I don't know, I guess there's been a way that throughout my, at least my adult life, I've had sort of like two different kinds of communities. One is like, you know, sort of like hardcore social justice activists. And then the other community is like mostly folks who identify as artists. And they like, I feel like people always have criticisms of each other. Like right. artists always artists always are like, oh, activists don't make art, they make propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then um social justice, like activist y folks are like, oh, artists are so apolitical and like self indulgent <laughs> and they just make you know, all the things. And I feel like this election is gonna force us all to sort of um bind together and I think that the line between propaganda quote unquote and and high art or whatever is going to get really intensely blurred um, yeah I, and I, I think that that's super exciting <laughs> yeah like we're going to be able to see each other as allies in a different way yeah that sounds also incredible 
Um, except for like the world might end, but <laughs> that's how. Yeah, I'm, right. That's yeah. been my out, my outlook so far has been basically like everything will be really uh, interesting. I guess <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like right. it, it's gonna definitely like it, I think already has pushed people to being political that weren't political before. Uh, and yeah, I think a lot of artists are definitely speaking out a lot more against it, like when they maybe wouldn't have before or something. I think that that there might be, I think that art is going to take on a crucial role and maybe a, um, maybe an even more like subliminal role in mainstream society yeah. when it comes to like dismantling systems of oppression. So I don't know. I feel like since Trump got elected, I've been seeing all of this really awesome um, like culture jamming or like subvertisements, you know, there's that magazine, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but they, you know, they do like have mainstream advertisements and they change them so that. Oh, like Adbusters, a, right? Adbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Adbusters. Um, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of art like that lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's just like this form of guerrilla art that kind of takes aim at media based power structures and it causes the viewer to take a second glance at something that appears commonplace um but then it like disrupts and denaturalizes the original message right. in this way that I think is really cool and makes people kind of get like cognitive dissonance or something totally um and i don't know it like cuts through the like hype and glitz of our kind of mediated reality and like momentarily then reveals this deeper truth. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's people who work in all different kinds of mediums are figuring out ways to do that right now that that are just like pretty mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. I agree with you. I think that it's just everything is changing. Also, in this, like, really interesting way where, yeah, things are getting, like, way more uh, subversive, kind of. Because I feel like, uh, just to, like, totally segue, I feel like whenever I was growing up, it was, like, the early 2000s or something like that. And I feel like at that time, Mm -hmm. I thought that, like, everything that was famous was boring. I was just, like, I don't like anything that's, like, on anything. Like, I don't, (laughs) I hate everything. And then, like, now I, like, you know, I'll listen to just, like, pop music. And pop music is really fucking good again. And, like, it just (laughs) seems like everything just, like, sucked for, like, 10 years or something. And now, like, it's, everything is just getting way more subversive. Like, you know, to me, like, I I think that, like, Beyonce is, like, a thousand percent subversive. Like, you know, there's. Holy shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. Like definitely, because that's like playing a role in it, right? Is is that people are mm-hmm. having this more, uh, like, just an interesting like subversiveness about even things like mainstream music and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we live in this fucking intense like capitalist heteropatriarchy or whatever. And, yeah. Um. It. It inflicts like it in, inflicts pretty intense trauma on lots of us, you know, especially those of us who aren't white. Um, yeah. And so I think there's a way that art like helps return um, the viewer to like the pleasure of a kind of sensory embodiment that trauma destroys, and we like we have to fucking hold on to that. I don't know what happens if we let go of it, and so. 
that's just what I keep returning to is like, I mean, that's the optimism that I just keep returning to is like, at least we're making each other feel things. Join us again next week for more conversations with Robin Sarah Century. If you have any suggestions or interviews you would like to perform, reach out to us on Twitter or at robinundressingunderground.com. Stay safe on Friday if you are participating in any demonstrations. <laughs>